Welcome back to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. My name is Chris Chapman, and I am your host. If this is your first time tuning in, then this is a podcast for those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. And speaking of a next level, I want to introduce you to Magic Mind, which is the world's first productivity drink. Lately, I've been experiencing a ton of brain fog, lack of focus, and just a general tired feeling overall. I've tried coffee, caffeine pills, and Nothing has really worked, and I'm very thankful that I got introduced to Magic Mind because it's been keeping me at a next level ever since. It's got all of these natural ingredients, matcha, which gives you energy, adaptogens, which helps you relax, honey, which keeps you happy, and nootropics, which help you with focus. I've been taking it for about a month, and I can tell a massive difference in my productivity, and it's able to keep me focused and my attention span strong since I have a career, a podcast, a coaching business, a speaking business, everything that I'm doing. Magic Mind helps me keep at a next level. Right now, I have a 20% off code to share with the listeners of Next Level Minds, and that code is LVL20. To use it, you can go to magicmind.co slash next, N-E-X-T, and then enter in the code LVL20 to get 20% off your order today. Now on to today's episode, I am sitting down with Alex Jarbro, who is a short-term rental developer and manager. He was born and raised in Detroit, served in the Marine Corps for four and a half years, and then at 22 years old, he left the Marines to pursue a career as a real estate professional. He's also the founder of Sargon Investments and has a goal of developing 650 cabins in the next three years. So Alex and I are going to discuss short-term rentals. We're going to discuss development. We're going to discuss cash flow. There's a lot of questions that I want to ask him. So I'm super excited to dive into this week's episode of Next Level Minds. And as we like to say here, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Alex, thanks so much for hopping on the Next Level Minds podcast, man. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, absolutely. How's uh, the Asheville area treating you today? Good, man. As we're recording this, it's gorgeous, gorgeous time of the year and fall time. Yeah. What, you got some like orange and brown, like leaves and all that, orange and yellow leaves type of thing? Yeah, my wife my wife and I just left one of the cabins that we own. Uh, we just stayed there for the night. It was gorgeous, just insane. Nice. I love it. I love it. Um, what else you got going on this week? I know we're recording on Thursday, so... Yeah, I mean, I'm just playing a little bit of a catch up with some of my projects, uh, some of my development projects this weekend. But I think we're throwing a hol- oh yeah, we're throwing a Halloween party this weekend too. So perfect, yeah, perfect. What what are you going to be? Do you know yet? Whatever my wife tells me to be, I'm sure to <laughs> good, yeah, good answer. I've been, I've been married for like a year and a couple months, and that's probably the best answer you can give. Like so. this is your costume, you're matching me. I was like, all right, good to go. You're like, whatever you say, I'll be there. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome, man. So uh, I want to start. You're a Guinness World Record holder, right? Yeah. Uh, let me see if I can move my camera real quick. It's right right there. Oh, nice. Oh, I see that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little blurry, but yeah. Yeah, it's a little good conversation piece thing. <laughs> so what what is it? It's the furthest distance to roll a coin. So like if we want to go all the way back, I was before I even joined the military, I was like a, a street magician for a while. Uh, like I did it through middle school and high school, and I wanted something that was either tied to coins or cards or something. 
Um, like when I was, all, all of us, when we were little kids, we'd always go through the Guinness World Record book and stuff. And uh, I was like, it'd be cool to just do that. When I left the military, I had like a, not a lot of downtime, but way more downtime than I was used to. And I was like, let me just break a world record. Like I was like, I just went on their website. I was like, what's the easiest thing I can do? And the, that was one of, that was the main one. So what were you just like, all right, I guess this one's the easiest and let me try it out type yeah. of thing. Or? Yeah. I mean, it took like six months and <laughs> like you can just record it yourself. You don't have to have anyone come out and verify it. Um, and then I just like submitted everything, waited six months and get like a congratulations email. Like six months later, I was like, I can't believe that worked. Where did you roll it? Like, was it what type of road was it? It was like a, a, a gym that one of my friends uh, worked at, and they, they had like a long strip, of like a concrete like walkway yeah. that was like straight for like two three hundred meters, and I just took a half dollar and just like whipped it. But yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. How many uh, how many feet was it? I don't even remember so, something. Uh, yeah, yeah, something like that. What book is it yeah. in? Because I got a bunch of them. I, I may be able to. Find I don't it. even. So like, I, I think there's more book. There's there's more records than what's in the books. Uh, essentially, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's on the. T- I think like they'll go like there's an appendix on all of them. I actually never even so got I, a book yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, I got you. So you were in the uh, Marines for how long? I was in for four and a half years. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So you went? Did, I guess did you go straight from high school or? Yeah, it was like two weeks out straight from high school into the, I went to boot camp. I didn't even have a summer break that year. Yeah. What, what made you want to do that? Um, I felt like, I felt like I wasn't really ready for school and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and one of my, one of my best friends had same situation and we were just like, let's just join together. Um, and I mean, it definitely, like now I have my bachelor's degree and my MBA mm-hmm. and I'm finishing up a doctorate, but it, it definitely built me up as a person, built me up as a leader as well. Um, and I mean, it, it's helped me in everything that I'm working on now. Yeah. I was going to say like, what lessons from that kind of translated to what you're doing now? The biggest thing was uh, probably the, the, like the military is very structured, right? Uh, yep. the, they tell you what to do, how to do it, everything. Um, they'll assign you mentors or you'll have mentors. Um, and I think that's what I took from that was like, when you're an entrepreneur, when you're a business owner, when you're first starting, like you're, you're wearing all the hats, but it, it, it's almost like you're, you're creating your days. Like, like I, even to this day, I sit down on Sunday, plan out my whole week. Mm-hmm. And then every night I, I spend 15 to 30 minutes, like planning out my next day. And, um, I think the biggest thing I gained from that, like my whole military experience was one, the importance of having a good mentor in your life, no matter what port, like part of your life or your business you're in. And the second thing is like trying to adopt some sort of structure to your days or your structure to your business. Um, those are, those were the two biggest things I learned from the military. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Cause I mean, when you're running your own business, you know, in eight to five, it's like, get there at this time and hop on this meeting and do this and do that. But it's, yeah. you're running your own business. It's like, nobody's really telling you you need to do it at yeah. this time. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like that. You said you do that on Sundays, man. I do the same thing. I got like a little Sunday checklist map yeah. everything out. So that way, when you start Monday, you're just like, all right, here's how the week's yeah, going to look. The, I got that idea from, I mean, it exists everywhere, but the one thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan, that's mm-hmm. like, if people are looking for like a way to structure your days and, how to structure your week and stuff. That's a phenomenal book to follow. It's very short as well. Yeah, I love it. So you obviously transitioned from Marines to to real estate. So how how did you kind of, I mean, that's kind of a night and day difference outside of the whole structure of time and do this and do that. But like, how how did you really do that? 
Yeah, so toward, towards the end of my enlistment, it was like maybe six months to a year left, I started reading a lot of books, general business books, investing books, stock market books, real estate books. And real estate had really caught my eye mm. just because I enjoyed the control you had over it. So like in terms of like forced appreciation, you could take a property, flip it or do something to it and make it better based off of just your imagination or what you can come up with. And I really enjoyed that piece. Um, and that's what really, uh, so I originally joined a flipping mentorship and I was doing like a group coaching call with, uh, the, the guy who owned the mentorship. And what he had said was a lot of his long, this was back in 2015 or 16, but he had said a long, a lot of his long-term wealth was tied into short-term rentals. And that mm -hmm. sort of really like perked my ears a little bit. And, um, so I got him on a one-on-one -on -one call and he, I was like, I'm really open to moving anywhere to start off, um, like I could go back to where I, where I grew up, which was Detroit, Michigan, but I, I was really open to moving wherever. Um, so he helped me decide, he helped me choose a good short-term rental market and he taught me how to good choose a good short-term rental market. Um, and we had decided on Asheville. So the, literally the day that I got out of the military, I moved here. I had some money saved up, maybe like six to eight months of reserves. Um, so I got my broker's license when I moved here and I just started looking for a rental for myself. Um, and what I realized really quickly was either everything was either way out of my price range or it was in my price range, but it wouldn't have done well as a short-term rental. And um, it would have maybe done well as like a long-term rental for like a long-term tenant in those properties. But um, it was like six to, literally like six months of looking and couldn't find anything. And so I decided that literally my very first real estate investment was going to be a short-term rental development, ground up from land to what we own now. Um, and that one, that one was our very first one. It was an 800 square foot A-frame and one turned into two really quickly, two turned into four. After four, we brought on some investors. Mm. Um, and then, uh, today we're developing over $10 million worth of real estate and hopefully to triple that next year. Wow. That that's yeah. amazing, by the way. Congrats on, on that growth that you've yeah, experienced. Man. Yeah. It's been, it's been a fun roller coaster. Yeah. Um, my next question on this was going to be, you know, how did you learn everything, which correct me if I'm wrong, but it. Kind of sounds like that came what from like the mentor that you had and all that. The mentor and just honestly screwing up, like yeah. it, like there wasn't really, uh, there wasn't really too much like short term rental resources out there when I first started. Um, so I leaned really heavily on just general real estate books, whether it be like single family flipping books. There were barely any books on development. I, I mean, even to this day, there's barely any resources on development. Um, so I lean very heavily on like just other real estate asset class books. So like when it came time to like raise capital and learn how to do a syndication or learn how to like put together a joint venture deal, um, I leaned on like multifamily apartment books for stuff like that. Yeah. And just picked it up and said, all right, I'm going to figure this out, learn this. Yeah. Learn it's that. like the yeah. number, like when it comes to cash on cash, cap rates, return to investors, it's, it's the same number. It's just a different vehicle to get there. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So you mentioned just kind of trying to experience, I mean, what, what are some failures or mistakes that you made early on, would you say? Yeah, the biggest one was um, just, it, it's, it's real estate development is just like, you, you don't know what you don't know until you really <laughs> yeah. start messing those things up. Um, so I, I would say my biggest uh, screw up um, was probably at the beginning, which was like, um, just not verifying the right people that were working for me in terms of like their experience levels and stuff. Like, I mean, th this goes for flipping too, but like 
the lowest quote might not necessarily be the best type of work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then just another thing was like, we we hadn't verified utilities to the first parcel that we had purchased. Um, so like none of the neighbors would grant us an easement, an easement being like a right of way to get electricity to our property. Um, so we actually built that very first property with a generator and we spent like 180 grand building that property. And for a while there, it, it had no electricity like at all. And it's like, we didn't know how we were going to get it. And we eventually figured it out with the neighbors, but it, one, it cost way more than we thought it was going to. And two, it was like, I almost screwed up like a two, it was, that was almost like a $200,000 mistake that I tell every person I coach now, it's like, just verify your, your utilities before you even go under contract, which seems pretty simple for people who don't, who are in this industry. But for someone who's just starting out, that might not, you just assume that anyone can get electricity or utilities or anything. And you said that's if you like buy the land and you're about to develop, right? See if you can get electricity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like, if you're, so like that property was like in um, the, the road leading up to that property was a private road. Um, and I just, every area is going to be different, but I just had learned a lot of things in my County that I just didn't know about. And then recently my biggest mistake was just trying to scale as aggressively as my goals are and understanding that some people on my team didn't want to scale that quickly. And that's, that's Mm -hmm. more of a leadership thing that, um, I had to transition some people onto my team and some people off of my team, um, just because they, they couldn't, they didn't have the bandwidth to handle the, the type of development I wanted to do. Yeah, I was going to say, like, how did you get on the same page with the team? But it sounds like you just kept the ones that wanted to and then had those tough conversations with the ones. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough conversation, but it's like when you're having those tough conversations, I've realized email and text is the dumbest way to do it. So it's like just getting getting in person and just human to human and just talking, talking through. Okay, it's like if they're comfortable developing one, two cabins a, a year, that's completely fine with me. It's just like. I know that that's their place, but it's like I need to find like a different GC or a different crew to develop six, twelve at the same time and stuff like that. Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned the whole like text thing. I had a tough situation the other day, and I was like, I could easily email this dude, but I'm just gonna tell him face to face. And it was actually something I did wrong, and I just told him straight up, like, "Look, man, I did this, meant to do this, but here's what happened." And he was like, "Man, I really respect you telling me face to face because 99% of people would probably just shoot me an email." And I was like. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're purchasing, like, here's another good example. We we're purchasing a two and a half million dollar cabin cluster development. Like they're already built. There's seven of them. Mm, nice. Beautiful land, everything landscape. And, um, a, a lot of stuff was being miscommunicated between our attorneys and then our real estate agents as well. Um, and things were getting really heated and I was like, okay, we're, we're done. We're all done here. Um, I was like, my wife and I are literally about to, we're going to go to the property. We're going to meet the owners in person, no agents, no attorneys or anything, and just talk face to face and everything got hashed out. So it's like, um, <laughs> one of my favorite quotes along like is, is, uh, the quality of your life can usually be determined by the number of uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have. And that's, I, I have taken that to heart on almost everything I've done in real estate. Yeah, I'm sure the, uh, I like that quote too, by the way. I'm sure the owner of that place was just like, thank God we were getting like a normal face in here, right? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, because <laughs> at that, it was like, just things were being miscommunicated and tensions were getting high. It's like, no, just go out there and meet the owners. These are just humans at the end of the day. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so can you break down, I know you did this at the beginning, but can you break down a bit more on the concept of building versus buying those existing properties? Yeah, so so the the whole idea, the whole thesis to my company is, building unique cabins where the cabin itself or the property itself is an experience outside of the city that the guest is visiting. Um, 
I like to say Instagramable properties are properties that guests would be really proud to put on their social media. Um, and that when you develop properties that way, and every area is going to be different because every area has their own type of styles and everything. But when you develop properties along that type of thinking, um, it opens you up to a completely different world when it comes to like marketing a property or like influencer marketing, social media marketing. It, it just gets so much easier when you're doing it that way. And your marketing essentially takes care of itself when you're when you're developing properties that way. Um, all of our properties are like permanent foundation stick built houses. So like a backup plan is to either put a long term tenant into these properties or like to sell off the property to someone who would just live in it long term. Um, but yeah, our, our, our goal is always to be one to optimize a floor plan. So we're not wasting any square footage, especially with how expensive everything has gotten, but also to, to have some sort of unique aspect to it. So like we develop like barn dominium type properties, a frames, cottages, chalets, we're playing around with like tree houses, which are like house, essentially just houses on stilts, but properties that people, the condensing it down to one idea, it's properties that people would be proud to put on their social media. Yeah, because then it's like, I want to go there, kind of show off on social media to my friends where I'm staying at and just have a unique yeah. approach rather than just like a condo or something, right? Yeah, and I, I think looking like five years in the future, even three years, it's already happening now, but an untapped thing that I think a lot of people who have like unique properties or developing unique properties or just in short-term rentals in general, an untapped market is just like the influencer marketing piece is like stepping away, not necessarily stepping away from Airbnb and VRBO, but just understanding those two channels are just a marketing arm to your business. And you should be looking at your company as a bit, you should be looking at your properties as a business where it's like, you need to be putting up some sort of work outside of just relying on Airbnb and VRBO to get you bookings. Yeah. That's funny you say that. Cause I, I don't remember exactly where it was somewhere in the mountains, but I follow some influencer and she put a badass property on her uh, Instagram story. And I was like, Whoa, that's awesome. And it was like, here's the link. And I was like, I'm just going to click on this. And I started toying around, but it's like, I would have never found that place if she would have never posted yeah. about it, you know? So, yeah. And it's like, if, if like on the other side of that, it's like, if someone just had a boring, I'm like, I hate to say use boring, but it's like, just like, like a original, boring single yeah. family house that a family would be living in. That's not going to do as well. The, the rate I've looked at the rates, I've compared the rates. They don't do as well as like just an A frame. Like, my 800 square foot A-frame like grossed $82,000 last year, and then it netted like 46,000 after debt service, and or expenses and debt service. And it's like I've I've seen like million dollar houses in this market do those type of numbers. So, but it's like that cabin was built and furnished for like 250 grand. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. And then I mean, you're yeah. looking at like you know condos in the mountains for like 350, 400. So right. that's, that's awesome. When it comes to like developing it, like what, what partners do you need? I mean, is it, you said GC general contractor was one of them. I mean, who else is kind of involved there? Yeah. So like the, the GC, the GC is not a partner necessarily. It's more like just a, someone that's working for yeah. you. So like the difference between that is like partners bringing on capital. But the first like three or four that my wife had built, we don't, we didn't, it was just us. We were just relying on the money. We like, we were working from like our normal jobs after I got out of the military um, or like, just like working as a real estate agent and my wife working a normal job. But, um, the, the, the partners mainly of the, the main people on your team on the development side is going to be a good land real estate agent, like an agent that understands how to buy and sell land. That's going to be more, mm. that's going to be more important than just hiring your friend that just got their real estate license. Um, because 
they're, they're going to know all the little intricacies in your county and your city when it comes to developing property. And then the second is going to be a general contractor. So like, so when you're first starting, I recommend bringing your GC or your, I mean, your real estate agent is going to come out with you and help you avoid some of those landmines. Um, but your GC is going to be able to have the eye or at least you hope they can look at a piece of property on site and be like, OK, this property is going to work. This property is not going to work. One thing I like to look at, no matter if I'm bringing a GC or a real estate agent with me, is I you you have to think of the entire guest experience. So what does that mean? That that doesn't just mean building an awesome property, like an A-frame or something. It also means the drive to and from the property. So you don't want your guests to be driving like 30 minutes. I know you're familiar with my market. Like You don't want your guests to be driving like 30 minutes up a gravel road before they even get to your property. A lot of times they're new to the area. A lot of times they're driving in at night. Sometimes they'll lose cell phone reception and you don't want them to be like annoyed or scared by the time they even walk into your property. So access to the property is going to be huge. We like to be off of like a double lane state maintained road or some sort of paved road, even if it's private, some sort of paved road that leads onto our property. We're fine with putting in our own gravel driveways. That's completely fine if, if they'll go like anywhere between like a couple hundred feet to like maybe like a quarter mile of gravel road. But I don't want my guests to be going like three, four miles up a gravel road before they get to the property. That's a really good point. I think that's often overlooked, at least from what I've seen. It's like, well, the house looks awesome, but the ride there was horrible. Yeah. And now people are Yeah, you'll see, you'll see an awesome. And it's another thing that like mm. they'll say in this market is like everyone wants a mountain view, but nobody wants to drive up a mountain. And it's like you'll see like an awesome property on the MLS on Zillow or whatever. And you're like, why is it priced so low? And then you go out there and it's like three, four miles in the middle of nowhere to get up to the property. And you're like, okay, that's why. You're like, I'm pretty sure I yeah. saw a horror movie that was filmed in this area. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like, a, it's a balancing act of like, people want that woods feeling, but at the same time, they don't want to like drive to it. Like in terms of like 20 to 30 minutes up a random back road. Yeah. Yeah, I stayed yeah. in one by myself in uh, Brevard, North Carolina, which great area. But I mean, I was like, yeah weaving throughout gravel and i mean like three miles down this path and i'm like i'm gonna sleep honestly like with my knife in my hand like i don't know what's going on here and it was, it, it was so funny because my wife it's funny that you mentioned that so like my wife when my wife and i both grew up in big cities we i grew up in detroit she grew up in like the detroit metro area then i lived in dc for four years and when we first built that first a-frame like five years ago um we were like, when we stayed in it, because we wanted to be the first people to stay in the property, uh, we were like scared. Like, we we're just like in the middle of the woods. We're like, okay, we, we just weren't used to that. Um, so it's, it's funny that you said Coming that. Coming from like Detroit too, you're like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You're like, I felt more comfortable in downtown Detroit. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so can you elaborate on your investment side a, a little bit more? Because I know you mentioned you, you raise funds for different projects too. Yeah, yeah. So. So I did I did a pretty big capital push in the beginning of this year and I I over I overfunded some of my deals like I, I overraised, um, but when I when I first started I took on just like like I didn't just friends I didn't take on family just close friends, um, and then when I started doing capital raising I brought on like four joint venture deals so like joint ventures meaning I only had one other partner in the deal that brought all the capital to the deal. They were a passive investor and helped me guarantee the loan. And then they're, they're completely passive. And then I take care of everything else. And that was anywhere between a hundred grand to 500 grand that coming just from one person. And then I transitioned, I started doing podcasts and doing that big capital raising push. When I realized I, I mainly hopped on like multifamily apartment investing podcasts. And a lot of time, a lot of times these podcasts I was hopping on, 
they had some sort of um, fund, like the host had some sort of syndication fund that they were in charge of. And what I realized was I, I started getting pitched. Like I, I had no intentions of pitching myself to these funds, but I started getting pitched on, hey, we have like investor capital that we want to distribute. And at that time, even right now, like cap rates are just crazy in the multifamily. You're looking at like two and a half to 5% if you're lucky at 5%. Um, and so I partnered with a couple funds May, the main one out of Michigan that I'm that we're closing on a deal here in a couple months, um, and I sort of stepped away from the capital raising piece. I'm still open to doing it. I just push them to that fund um, because they handle all the investor relations. They just do a better job at it than me. So they handle all the investor relations, and I'm essentially the deal finder and operator. And we have our own splits between the general partners and the limited partners. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that that makes sense of just passing it off to another firm who has the the investor relations folks. So. In a JV deal, and it's just you and one partner, like what's holding the person back that has the money to be like, wait, 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 you're making how much a month in cash flow? Like, I'm just going to do this myself and, and buy it all myself. Yeah, if, if, if they want to, more power to them. Um, I, I think we're like relying on my network for the most. I was talking to passive investors. These were, these were people that were business owners that didn't have the time to do that. Um yeah, like there, there has to be a clear relationship there when, when you're doing, when you're raising money like that. Like you don't want someone that's, it's fine for them to come on site because they're part owners, but like you, you need to be in charge, as long as you're doing your job right, like you need to be in charge of that deal. They are a passive investor and that relationship needs to be I, like talked about prior to getting into any type of deal. Cause you don't, you don't want, you don't want two decision makers and everything that you, everything that I'm doing. Um, it's like, you trust me, I, I've done these projects in the past. Um, and it's like, all I need is just the capital. And then it's completely passive to you. You can live your life and you'll just get your check at the end of the month or the quarter or whatever it is. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, and I asked that just because I was watching a bigger pockets video about how to buy property without any of your own money, watched it with a buddy of mine. And then he's like, well, what's holding them back from just buying it themselves now that they know the numbers? And I'm like, it's a really good point. So I was like, I got to ask Alex that one, get his, uh, get his opinion on that. So yeah, so a lot, a lot of my outside investors are are out of town. So it's mm -hmm. like I'm not doing any, and the the people, the investors that I do have in town, they're business owners. Like they're they don't yeah, have, they don't have time, time to be yeah. checking up on property and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. BP is an interesting platform. I'm a I, I write for their short term rental blog and stuff. Yeah, I was reading some it's of those. Interesting crowd in that world. Yeah, no, I um I, I've just been diving into probably watch like two or three videos a week, um, just from a range of multifamily to single to short term and yeah, yeah, it's uh you get mixed opinions on there, but it's a pretty cool platform just bringing it all together. So oh, absolutely, man. Yeah, and they're, they've really ramped up their short term rental content. Like Rob, Rob, oh, yeah. uh, Rob, Rob was one of my first mentors in this space. And now it's like, I'm a short-term rental blog writer for BP and he runs their podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, so how do you find the good areas to invest in? You mentioned like drivable from, from bigger city a, a yeah, little man. bit. So, Yeah, I love this question. So that's the very first question you get is, okay, what market do I get into? And the type of development that we're doing doesn't really do well in the metro markets. So if you live in a metro market, that's completely fine. What I like to say to that, the, the best place to find a market is you want to start in your backyard to a point. Because like whenever you read any type of real estate book, any bigger pockets book tells you to start in your backyard because you're going to know your market better than anyone. That's true for this strategy to a point. What I would say on top of that is 
You want to think of a city or a market that people like to take extended weekend vacations to in your market. So like, I like to use the two extreme examples. In New York City, people will drive to upstate New York every weekend and, and spend time there. Uh, in California, you have like people in San Diego will drive up to Big Bear to, to spend a weekend or like three or four days up there. So no matter what market you're in, there's hundreds of these pocket markets throughout the whole country that like it would be impossible to put a list behind them or like put them into a list because the, the locals are going to know those markets better than any type of software, AI generated anything. Um, so that that's my when you're looking at before you even look at what type of property to develop, you want to look at like to to choose a market. Just think of two to three markets in your area that you or people in your market are taking extended weekends vacations to where a good another good example is where I'm from in Detroit. I would never do the strategy in Detroit, even 30 minutes outside of Detroit. I wouldn't do it. But if I went an hour and a half north in Michigan, there's a lot of really cool smaller cities and beach towns that that would this strategy would do really well in so when it comes to market selection that's what i tell people is just think of a market that people like to take an extended weekend vacation to mm. that's a really good one um and i've heard drivable right from like a bigger city rather than like yeah. a flight just because there's so many variables with a flight and stuff so um drive drivable is huge that's yeah. like we're, we are a driving city where we are in Asheville. um and maybe like a smaller regional, you can look at a good example would, I've actually never thought about this until now. A really good example would be like, think of places that have regional, regional airports, but not international airports. Mm. Cause people are going to be driving more to those markets than say like an, like an international market, like an international airport market. Yeah. Cause Asheville only has a regional airport. That's true. So. Yeah. With the good areas to invest in, is there a certain kind of like demographic that you've seen like getting your space, uh, your bookings more than others? Or yeah, it's 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 definitely it, so it depends. So like we're, we've developed log cabins, we've purchased log cabins, and then we've also developed a frames and barn dominiums. The log cabins tend to, it's not necessarily what we're targeting. It's more like if it's a really cool property that we think would do well on the short term rental sites. Um, I know for a fact that the like the older crowd comes to the log cabins compared to the A-frames or the bondominiums, which is more the millennial Gen Z crowd. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, yeah. do you see a difference between each type of property there based on the demographics? I was just a little bit curious. The shorts tend to, the stays tend to be a little shorter mm. um, for like the A-frames or the younger people compared to someone who's renting out a log cabin. They might stay for like an entire week if they're a retiree or something. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. So yeah. um, can you break down a little bit more? Like, let's say somebody maybe has their first rental, whether it was a, a ground up development or whether they, they maybe had the capital to buy one and they're like, all right, like now I got to be a good host. So like, do you kind of have like a step? Yeah, man. And I was looking at your listing, by the way, you got like the snacks out there, the coffee. I mean, I was like, damn, this feels like home by looking at the pictures. So yeah, yeah, it's funny. I, yeah, yeah. Um, so when it comes to management, freebies are huge. We usually like to tack on, like, depending on how big the management fee is, or sorry, the uh, cleaning fee, I like to tack on anywhere to between like 5 to $10 on top of the cleaning fee just to take care of inventory. Mm. But that $10 goes back into the property. So it's like, outside of the toiletries and stuff, like, I like to do like free popcorn, spice rack, free uh, board games. I mean, you only got to purchase those once. Um, freebies are huge. When it comes to a management piece, um, I always like to say the cleaning crew is where the rubber meets the road. Like you, you got to make sure you have a, my cleaning crew is not in house. I have a third party cleaning crew that takes care of all my properties. 
Um, and they handle my inventory. They tell me if anything's broken in the property. So that's where the rubber meets the road. You don't necessarily, when you're, I would say your first 15 properties, you wouldn't even need a boots on the ground manager because your cleaning crew almost acts like that. They're coming through the property anywhere between one to three times a week already. They're going to tell you what's broken in the property. And then if you want to take it above that, we recently started using virtual assistants to handle a big part of our messaging. Mm. So we have automated messaging as well that gets put like the directions and the check-in instructions that gets put it, that gets pushed out automatically through our property management software. But I would say that takes a, that the automated messaging tools take care of maybe 60 to 70% of the messaging. The other 30% is taken care of by the, the virtual assistant, uh, which is out of the Philippines. And these are these are VAs that have worked for Airbnb and Marriott already that understand these platforms. Um, so when it comes to the management piece, cleaning crew, and then some sort of virtual assistant, and then some sort of automated messaging tool is going to be, that's going to set you, that's going to get you about 80 to 90% of the way there. Nice. And then just the, the little knickknacks, like you said, the popcorn, the spices, stuff like that too go a long way, right? Yeah. And again, the the structure of the house and the landscape really sells the property as mm. well. That That takes a lot of the like the grunt work out of it. But um, one of the best things to do is have your friends stay at the property or like my wife and I just stayed at one of our, like I said, one of our properties last night. And I like, I literally had my laptop out and I was like, okay, this is even five, five years after owning the property. It's like, okay, this is screwed up. I should add this to it. I should add this to it. This felt weird. This felt weird. This needs to be here and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, Go to, if you have, doesn't matter if it's a ground up development or whatever, if you have a property, go stay at it. Yeah. Or go, if you can't do it, go have friends stay at it and give you an honest review. Okay. This was screwed up. This was screwed up. And then I asked my guests as well. Um, that's a huge thing. It's like outside, like they'll, they'll, I'll, I'll ask for feedback. So I like the, the friends method because it's like, Hey, give me feedback, but like, don't blast my Airbnb review. Just shoot me a text or call yeah, yeah. me and then you can figure it out. Right. right. That's cool. Yeah. It's like, okay. Like. If you wanted to cook a meal, like, did you have what you needed to cook a meal yeah. and stuff like that? Um, and then have you seen like Wi-Fi uh, desire kind of increase more with this whole like work from home type of thing? Yeah, man. Yeah, abso- absolutely. So like that, outside of what I talked about utilities and electricity and stuff, um, I currently I won't invest in any any property that we can't get some sort of high speed wired Internet to the property. It Co, it would you could get away with it, and you could still get away from it if you market it as this off grid yeah. type thing. But even on that side, like people still want to be connected. Um, so yeah, internet internet's one. Even even with like the tree houses that I've seen in this market and what we want to develop, I won't look at a parcel that can't have access to like some sort of wired internet. Yeah, because I'm sure a lot of people like are like, well, hey, I work from home like Tuesday through Thursday. I might just go pop in there, work work from home, mix it up in Asheville type of thing. But it's like if, if there's no Wi-Fi, then my, I work my wife worked from home while we we're at the while we we're at our cabin. It's the same thing. Yeah, 100. percent Got yeah. one more question that I want to ask, and then I'd love for you to kind of get the spotlight on some things you're doing. But uh, let's just say you're at a crosswalk in Asheville, and uh, someone's like, "Man, I, I heard you on Next Level Minds podcast." And you got one minute to give someone just some general kind of high-level real estate advice. Don't have to get too niche with it, but they're just like, hey, I really want to get started, man. What, what, what would you suggest? Uh, I would suggest hiring some sort of mentor right off the bat that have already that has already done what you have done. Um, a mentor is going to both save you time, which is your most important asset, but also hundred like the my current mentor has saved me hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he would have saved me even more if I would have taken him on earlier. That makes sense. Yeah. 
Because like, like I said earlier, like you don't know what you don't know when real estate, real estate development books can only get you so far. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense, man. I, um, I heard something the other day. It's like the fastest way to acquire success is by learning from others who have achieved the success you want. So yeah, like they've, they've, they've laid the groundwork for most of the stuff. You can veer off of it a little bit, but at the end of the day, real estate investing is real estate investing. Yeah, yeah for sure. So, uh, yeah, man, what, what do you got going on? We'd love for you to kind of highlight all of it. So, Yeah, man, uh, if, if, if anyone's interested in reaching out to me, I'm pretty active in the Bigger Pockets community. I write for them, like I write for the, for the short-term rental blog. Um, I have a free YouTube channel, if you guys want to check that out, where we're just like detailing the projects that we're currently working on. It was a little slow to start it up because there wasn't really too much happening during COVID. Um, but now, I mean, things are in full swing with all of our developments. And then um, I recently also put together like a short-term rental development management course. Um, spent like six to eight months putting this thing together. It's over 100 videos, checklists, templates, 70-page workbook. Um, there's group coaching in there, and you guys can check that out if you guys are interested in that at alexjarbo.com. There will be a little, like a little tab for you guys just to go through the if you guys are interested in purchases, just to go through the, the, like the sales thing. Um, but yeah, I essentially put together the course that I wish I had when I first started is what I've been telling yeah. people. What, uh, what's the course priced at right now? I think it's at, oh, no, I'm not, not think it's at nine ninety seven, which is nice. like, I've been telling, I've, I've had people coming through and they're like, like, and mentors too. It's like, it needs to be priced at like 10 grand. Cause it's so niche. Yeah. And again, if I would have, if I would have, per- if I would have known that this course existed, like, Six years ago, I would have easily paid ten grand for this course, but yeah, we're, we have it priced at just under a grand. Yeah, because right you got the templates and all that in there, and it's basically like the roadmap that you've yeah. done. So, and there's like group coaching once a month in there for any other questions that come up during the process. Yeah, yeah. so that's awesome, man. Send me that link once we jump off, so because I'm going to put it in the show notes, um, and and we'll go from there. But uh, Alex, man, thanks again. This was a blast. I learned a lot. Took like two pages of notes, uh, and I know probably the listeners have as well. So. Yeah, appreciate you for having me. Have a good one. Well, that's it, everyone. Thanks again for taking the time to sit down and listen to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a family member, friend, or colleague who you think would get some value out of it. And if you're really feeling special, leave a review of Next Level Minds and let me know what you think. Other than that, hope everyone has a fantastic week ahead.